Five Marines are declared dead after a helicopter crash in California. Do officials know what caused the accident? Produced by Defense News and Military Times, this is the Early Bird Brief. Each morning, we bring you the defense and national security news of the day. And the Senate is bringing forward a revised military aid package for Ukraine and Israel without border security provisions. What does this all mean for defense and security? You'll find out. I'm your host, Simone Perez. Today is Friday, February 9th, 2024. Hey listeners, before we get started, be sure to tune in for a two-part episode about the future of B-52 bombers. Now back to the show. First up, we have an update on the five Marines involved in a helicopter crash in California on Wednesday. The service confirmed that five Marines are dead after their helicopter crash Tuesday in Southern California. Civil authorities on Wednesday morning found the crash site of the CH-53E Super Stallion. It had been conducting routine training flight from Creech Air Force Base in Nevada to Marine Corps Air Station Miramark in California. Yesterday morning, the 3rd Marine Aircraft Wing confirmed the members of the Wing's Marine Heavy Helicopter Squadron 361 had died. As of 5 p.m. Eastern Time yesterday, the Marines haven't identified the five who died. Federal, state, and local agencies launched a search for the aircraft and the Marines after their helicopter didn't arrive at the California installation on Tuesday night. At 9.08 a.m. local time Wednesday, the agencies discovered the aircraft in the San Diego County community of Pine Valley. The Marines were flying the heavy lift helicopter as a storm swept across Southern California. Another important story, the Senate on Thursday cleared its first hurdle in advancing President Joe Biden's massive aid request for Israel, Ukraine, and Taiwan. But even if the Senate passes the legislation, its fate remains uncertain in the House. Senators voted 67 to 32 to clear the first procedural hurdle. They haven't voted on the bill yet, but voting to take up debate on the bill. But let's take a second. You may be thinking even before all of that, What in the world is going on? I thought that deal about Ukraine and Israel was killed. And you'd be right. So here's what happened. And a lot happened. This past Sunday, a bipartisan group of lawmakers released the bill after two months of negotiation. It had money for Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, and border security measures to address the migrant crisis at the U.S.-Mexico border. But almost as quickly as it was released, the deal began to fall apart. Republican Speaker of the House Mike Johnson said it was dead on arrival, and former President Donald Trump, currently the frontrunner for the Republican primary, rallied Republican lawmakers against the legislation. So Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announced a Plan B supplemental that only dealt with military aid to Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan, taking out the border security sections of the original negotiated bill. Here's why it matters. Although Ukraine aid initially enjoyed strong bipartisan support, Republican opposition to additional assistance has grown over the last several months. The Biden administration in December used its last tranche of Ukraine aid funds from previous assistance packages, while Kyiv faces artillery and ammunition shortages. It's possible the Senate may vote on amendments as the foreign aid bill proceeds. It could serve as a potential opening for Republicans opposed to Ukraine aid assistance and also Democrats wanting human rights conditions tied to Israel aid. 
Congress has passed a cumulative $113 billion in economic and security aid for Ukraine since Russia invaded in February 2022. Israel receives an annual $3.8 billion per year in U.S. military aid. The Senate bill includes another $60 billion in security and economic aid for Ukraine, $48.4 billion of which is for military support. It also includes an additional $14 billion in Israel aid. The Republican-held House failed to pass a standalone Israel aid bill on Tuesday. Most Democrats opposed the legislation because of concerns about the lack of assistance to Ukraine, and Republican Freedom Caucus members were unhealthy with the legislation's lack of budgetary offsets. Also on your radar for today, a veterans group is trying to enlist vets to be poll workers for the 2024 election. For more on this, military veterans and journalism fellow Nikki Wentling sits down with us. Hey, Nikki, thank you for sitting with us. So what's this group and how do they think veterans and also, as you've reported, their families can play a role in the 2024 election? Hey, sure. So Vet the Vote is organized by We the Veterans, um, which is a nonprofit that formed a few years ago by people who saw the threat to American democracy and wanted to harness the societal power that veterans and military families have um, to help bridge political divides in the country. So that group's biggest effort is Vet the Vote, which they first started in 2022 before the midterm elections. At that time, there was this you know, massive shortage of election workers. There was a lot of doubt about the safety and effectiveness of U.S. elections um, because of all the misinformation stirred up after the 2020 presidential election. So in 2022, we, the veterans, uh, went to work recruiting veterans and military families to volunteer locally um, to work polls in their areas. The idea is that, you know, veterans and military families hold a bit of a revered status in society. Uh, they're seen as hardworking, trustworthy people. Um, and if they became involved and participated in the election process and trusted it personally, um, and then if other people in their communities saw them working the polls and believing in the process, then maybe they'd have more confidence uh, in U.S. elections. Um, and, you know, it's hard to measure whether this campaign by We the Veterans was successful in combating this loss of confidence, but they did succeed uh, in signing up almost 64,000 people as poll workers in 2022, which filled about half of the need, um, the gap that, that we were facing. So that brings us to now. You know, surveys have shown that this loss of confidence in elections hasn't really dissipated. So with all that in mind, you know, We the Veterans is kicking off its 2024 Vet the Vote campaign this week at the Super Bowl in Las Vegas. There are more than, you know, 30 organizations that make up the Vet the Vote campaign, and one of those groups um, is the NFL. So, you know, this go-around, Vet the Vote has a goal of recruiting 100,000 veterans and military family members to work the polls, and they're hoping the Super Bowl provides um, a large platform to get the word out this week. Could you just take a minute and break down for us just how much trust has been eroded in our election system? Sure. Yeah. So, so like I said, surveys have shown, you know, the loss of confidence in elections hasn't gone away since 2020, um, particularly among the Republican Party. And on top of that, you know, threats and harassment of election workers has continued to increase um, from 2013 through 2023. So uh, one of those studies out of uh, the University of California showed that um, about 65% of Democrats and 48% of Republicans said they trusted the U.S. election process before the midterm elections in 2022. And after that election, um, trust rose among Democrats to 83%, so a pretty big jump. 
Um, but it actually dropped among Republicans uh, two percentage points to 46%. And then, like I said, you, you know, the threats, there was a research uh, from the University of Nebraska recently that showed threats against public officials increased um, over the last decade and elected officials, which includes people who run elections, uh, were the second most targeted category. And then another report by the Brennan Center for Justice found that more than half of people who manage elections in the U.S., are concerned that threats will harm the retention and recruitment of poll workers this year. So, you know, one solution that we, the veterans, is looking at is to use, uh, you know, veterans and military family members to step in. And they they point to, you know, their history of service and, you know, them wanting to get involved in, in civics um, and, you know, being a key player here to step in and, um, you know, send the message that, you know, U.S. elections are effective and safe and people should go vote. And now here's some other stories that we're hearing chirps about. A German Navy frigate set sail yesterday toward the Red Sea. It will take part in a European Union mission to help defend cargo ships from attacks by Iranian-backed Houthi rebels. The Department of Justice announced this week that a man was arrested for allegedly stealing trade secrets developed for use by the United States to detect nuclear missile launches and track ballistic and hypersonic missiles. And Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky replaced his top army general yesterday. It amounts to a major shakeup of the country's war strategy as Russia's invasion grinds into its third year and Ukraine deals with shortages of ammunition and personnel. And on this day in history, in 1825, the presidential election was decided in the House of Representatives. John Quincy Adams was chosen to be the nation's commander-in-chief rather than Andrew Jackson. That's it for us this morning. To get more top stories and breaking news, go to defensenews.com ebb to subscribe to the Early Bird Brief newsletter. Please give us a like, rating, and a comment wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to follow us on social media at defense underscore news and at military times. The Early Bird Brief is hosted and produced by me, Simone C. Perez. Today's episode featured stories by Irene Lowenson, Bryant Harris, and Nikki Wentling. Our editor-in-chief is Mike Cruz. Have a great day.